Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special podcast here at uh, the ADRA Canada Insider. And I say special because today we are recording on location in the country of Rwanda. And for the last two and a half weeks, I have been traveling around this beautiful part of Rwanda and uh, visiting people who have been involved in the Embrace project here. And today, I have an opportunity to sit around a table here with some of the ADRA people who have been implementing the Embrace project here in this part of Rwanda. And uh, so maybe let's just go around the table here and introduce yourselves so everybody knows who we're talking to today. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. I am Vincent Munyerari. I am field coordinator in charge of economic empowerment and a communication focal person in Embrace, Rwanda. Thank you. I'm Florence Nionambaza, in charge of maternal, newborn, child, adolescent, sexual and reproductive health in Embrace, Rwanda. Wow, that's quite the title that you have there, <laughs> Florence. Yeah. Do you have it on your business card? Yeah, yeah you do. All of, that, all of that on your... Wow, that's amazing. Okay, and who else do we have here? Thank you, Frank. My name is Ruben Mvunyi. I'm the one who is uh, trying to coordinate all these activities. In fact, I'm the project manager for the Embrace Rwanda project. Okay, well, thank you all for being here. It's just been a wonderful time that I've had here the last two and a half weeks. It's not my first visit to your project. I've been here before, but we are now reaching the end of the Embrace project. And so it's nice to come at the end of the project as well and talk to the people. I've spent the last two and a half weeks interviewing the participants of Embrace here and I've heard such amazing testimonies from the people that have gone through your program here and how it has really changed their lives. But before we get into some of those stories, I would like for our listeners to get an idea of where we are. And maybe you can describe the scenery here because it's just amazing. Tell us what province we are in here, the district, and just tell us a little bit about the scenic beauty here. Thank you very much. Uh, we are in western province of Rwanda, okay. in a district called Nyabihu. Say that again. Called Nyabihu. That's what I have trouble with, saying Nyabihu. Okay, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Nyabihu is well known, first of all, for being mountainous. Mm. It's, uh, it has got the best uh, scenery you can have in Rwanda uh, with mountains which have got all shapes and uh, on these mountains, there is a lot of activities, livestock farming, crop production with terraces. It has the best view you can have in Rwanda. Yes, and I understand that there is a lot of tourism in this area exactly. as well because of the gorillas. Is that right? Yeah, it is home to the mountain gorillas as well. So it's a tourist area. There is a lot of also food production here. Actually, we are considered the food basket of Rwanda, especially when it comes to uh, production of potatoes, uh, wheat, tea, mm. and all sorts vegetables. of vegetables. All sorts of vegetables grow here. So it's such an amazing district. It's mm. one of those districts which are always in the headlines. Now, uh, here at the Adra Canada Insider podcast, we have had oh, two or three episodes on the Promise Project. And yes. we always tell the people about how the growing season there is only about three or four months out of the year, and then it's dry the rest mm. of the time. It, what is it like in comparison here? 
Uh, are you? Do you have the wet and dry seasons here as well, or are people able to grow year-round here? Yeah, here the, the climate is a little different from the one in the eastern region. The eastern region is uh, relatively dry, but here we have rainfall, constant rainfall. Here it never gets dry because of the climate. It's a, well, um, a cool climate. It's very high in the mountains, so we don't have drought. We don't have very serious weather as it is in the east because the east is low-lying. It's like a valley, but here we are up in the mountains. We are over 2,000 meters above sea level. Wow. Okay, so, that, so that's why I need a jacket up here. Even th- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> even though we're almost at the equator I here. I think the climate here is not so different from the climate in Canada. Yes. I have not been to Canada, but it's, it's cool. It's cold. Yes. The... You need a little jacket, uh, especially in the evenings here. <laughs> but we don't have winter. Yeah, so we miss winter. That's the only difference. Right. So you you can grow crops, say three crops a year, basically? three crops in a year. Uh, All right. Well, then my question is, if this is the breadbasket of Rwanda and people can grow amazing crops, three crops a year, why is it that ADRA is working here? It seems like this would be a place where ADRA wouldn't need to work. How was this district chosen to be the place where ADRA does the Embrace Project? Even if Nyabihu district is considered as a food basket for the whole country, but there is a high prevalence of malnutrition, especially stunting. 59% of under five children stunted. 59% of the children. It's the first uh, in the whole country. If not in the whole world. That could be the highest stunting level, prevalence of stunting, probably in the whole world. Yeah. And so when ADRA was looking for a place to go to do maternal and child health, mm. this was the obvious yeah, choice. Yeah, mm. yeah this was okay. the obvious choice because stunting here is almost twice as high as the mm. national prevalence yeah. because the national prevalence is at 38% okay. mm. and uh, here we are at 59%. Wow. Mm. Now for some listeners who might not know what that term means, what is stunting? Starting is uh, normally when a child, his or her height, weight is not uh, matching with the age, you know? I mean, there, there are two factors here. There is a height and age. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if someone is short for their age mm-hmm. uh, by looking, we can say they are stunted. Mm-hmm. But stunting also goes beyond even the physical stature, mm-hmm. uh, their mental development is also yeah below the normal average. Okay. So it's a very serious condition. Very serious condition affecting not only households, not only individuals, but even the development of the nation yeah. as a whole. Because if people are not physically developed, definitely they will not grow to their full potential. They will be affected academically. And finally, even productive-wise, mm. they will not be as productive as those who are not affected by stunting. So stunting mm. is such a serious national issue here in Rwanda. And Nyabihu uh, bears the whole blunt of stunting in mm. Rwanda. Yeah. Well, maybe you can explain to me how it is that this happened here in this part of Rwanda. If they are able to grow 
year-round, and I've seen the soil. It's just yes. a beautiful soil. Mm. It's the best, the <laughs> volcanic soil. This is the only place where you can find volcanic soils in okay. Rwanda. Very rich soils. So how is it that you have 59% of the children malnourished and stunted in an area that is the breadbasket of Rwanda? Yeah, there are several factors. One of them is that access to land. There are so many inhabitants of Nyabihu who just work for others. So I those see. who come to work on the tea plantations, those who come to work on the farms, so those ones, they are very poor. They don't have enough resources. But most important, uh, what we came to address is also the knowledge factor. The knowledge they had on nutrition was very low. We are happy that... Uh, the, it has been increased in knowledge. There has also been increase in skills Practice. and practices have also tremendously improved. So even those who don't have access to the land, at least now that because everyone eats at least, mm. uh, they are able to know how to prepare meals, uh, how to prepare balanced diet. They know what it means to eat and eat nutritiously. Other factor is uh, in this uh, district, as uh, you said, is very productive. So the mind of the people in this district is uh, market-oriented. Mm. For their homes, they take what? Uh, the, the leftovers. Yeah. Okay. yeah so yeah, they know. sell the best. The best. And eat uh, the rest. The, the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's uh, another that is factor. Another factor mm. also. In addition to that, people here in the Nyebehu, they produce more children compared to their yeah, income. They are not applying family planning mm -hmm. as well. I know. I've, I've visited some homes where there's eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. nine, and ten they, children. And they're still producing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there they, they are some strong cultural beliefs here. Mm. Uh, belief uh, in big families. Uh, belief in some of the traditional practices such as men making decisions. Uh, and mm. also... Uh, lack of skills to take care of children. If uh, parents don't know how to do correct parenting, it also leads to stunting. Mm. If the families don't live harmoniously, if there is uh, things like domestic violence in the homes, definitely the children will not grow well and they will have these problems uh, which may lead to stunting and other malnutrition-related problems. Okay. There is also... Um, a high prevalence of uh, teen pregnancies. Mm. Ch the children are producing other children. They left them to their grandmother's parents, which don't have means or knowledge to g give them nutritious food. And those children became stunted or malnourished. Mm. Yeah, but also poverty is still there. Yeah, especially for the uh, single mothers who are working in the tea plantations, who are working for... The farmers, uh, they, they, they don't have really uh, enough means to support their households. Mm. So poverty is one of the factors for stunting. And something that I've noticed from several interviews that I've done is that the, the ladies said, well, we were feeding our children every day mm -hmm. and they were eating lots to fill themselves up. But then when you ask what they were eating, we find out that it was just maybe potatoes. Yes, just one type of food. Yeah. Yeah. So food diversity was also, it was because of lack of knowledge. Yeah. They didn't know what is contained in food. They mm. thought any type of food 
as long as they're full yes then they were being exactly. good mothers yeah exactly yeah. so that was a knowledge gap which was there um but thank god that is being closed with the embrace project mm. well that's my next question what are some of the strategies that the embrace project brought in to fill this gap in knowledge what were some of the things that you you did let's maybe start at the beginning of the project what was the main focus at the very beginning of uh, embrace here in rwanda as we work uh, uh, as embrace project we work uh, with the, the small group of people all our beneficiaries are uh, gathered on uh, small groups and in each group we have a tot trained by embrace the embrace is a stuff. TOT now. TOT is a training for trainers. Yeah, we make a training for trainers because uh, we can't go to uh, on all groups or on all beneficiaries. So we try to train people who will be the trainer of their peers. I see. Maybe we should back up what was the target population that the mm-hmm. embrace project was trying to reach? How many villages, how many households? We have almost 8000 households we work with with uh, 16000 benefi- direct beneficiaries the beneficiaries more than 16000 16000 and when you yes. say direct beneficiaries what does that mean that means the people that we we are directly uh, supporting they like um, especially pregnant uh, women There is a big category we call women of reproductive age mm-hmm. and then the children under five. We, we also work at the facility level where we work with uh, clinics or health centers. We are working with six health centers and one district hospital. So the staff who are working there are also considered our beneficiaries. But basically the primary beneficiaries are the women of reproductive age okay. that is women from 15 to 49 years old. Okay. So, so we we have our beneficiaries are in categories. We have direct beneficiaries mm. and then we have indirect. So directly we are responsible for uh, 16,000 but on top of that we have indirect beneficiaries which are 107,000. Okay. So all the people in our catchment area mm-hmm. in our area of operation we call them indirect beneficiaries because if you are working in a community and you have maybe two or three beneficiaries the neighbors also indirectly right. benefit yeah. Yeah. as you have seen if you teach someone to grow vegetables the neighbors will also have to come and learn from them yeah. mm-hmm. and you'll find that it is spreads like wildfire yeah. and the whole community embraces the program yeah. so we're looking at 107,000 you said yes yeah. 107,000 people, people benefiting from this knowledge so exactly. let's go back to then to the trainer of trainers uh, it's it's clear that your address staff here would not be able to go out to all of these villages mm-hmm. and efficiently and effectively spread the key points of embrace so what is your strategy again you you pull people f- one or two representatives from a village and then bring them in for training and then they go back is that how it works we have we are working in 154 villages okay so in each village we started one group and a group has got 30 members at least a maximum of 30 members okay so for each group We, we train the people who would be responsible for training each group. 
we started like with 150 groups mm. now the groups have grown to 300 uh, 325 mm. 325 wow so now that is the hub of the program mm. everything starts there mm. and it spreads out so from that unit of 30 people or 25 people all the programs are channeled through those we call them um, mchgs or mother child health groups okay yes so all the programs are centered on each of those groups whether it is training whether it is distribution of items whatever we do mm. that is our entry point and they start by setting up rules and regulations to govern them and they come up with an action plan they have um and they, their first activity is saving mm. because we saw that um, for sustainability people need to have an economic benefit mm. that would always put them together without much effort from the project yeah. so today you don't need to invite them for the meetings they have their own meetings on their agenda mm. and every time they meet they learn and they also do the savings activities and whatever activities they have planned mm. and what we did was to set up what we call community shelters which was another strategy so that they have a point of meeting mm. so in each village at least we have got such a facility where they come and meet on rotation basis and this facility what we call a community um, shelter is used for a lot of purposes whatever meeting they want to have they meet there and they do all uh, kind of stuff so that was our entry point mm. mobilizing communities in two groups and then teaching them so that they can do things on their own uh, in addition to what ruben is saying we are using the existing government structure in the place uh, for example we are working with uh, community health workers which mm. is a, a government institution for sustainability purpose but also for to make our comp- our implementation very strong so every village had some community three, health three community health workers trained by embers uh, they are also uh, among our TOTs who they are delivering our our education sessions they are leading the um, cooking demonstration session together with MCHG's um, members they are conducting screening regular screening for malnutrition they are orienting or referred pregnant women to the health centers mm. to minimize mm-hmm. the warning signs for pregnant women mm, yeah, yeah. The, this the, 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 that structure will remain even if the uh, the project will close right okay. yeah so and uh, all all group have one day and hour every week they meet on weekly basis okay and when they meet they know the first week uh, the topic will be mnch the second week the topic will be family planning a third week osh pamaculture they have a rollout plan of all topics which uh, was trained by embrace yeah. community shelter uh, is also called uh, there is a, a sign post there called school near us near okay. our village so the shelter is like a school for them learning center the learning center for yeah, them yeah exactly also to ensure that our program is uh, 
locally rooted uh, we worked with the local authorities okay good and uh, through the local authorities we are able to align all our activities to the government priorities mm-hmm. so every year we submit our action plan to the district and uh, it's aligned to the uh, district plan and it's aligned to the national imhigo framework which is a, a performance contract framework where the district uh, the district mayor uh, signs with the president of the republic so our activities uh, go into that framework as well okay and uh, apart from that we also have partnership with uh, other actors other stakeholders in the district mm-hmm. and we have a joint Action. forum mm-hmm. where we meet and we plan together and we are able to do peer evaluation mm-hmm. uh, across uh, the partnership okay. so that is another strategy which is helping us a lot mm-hmm. but uh, what we have seen as a a very very strong practice is the TOT which uh, Vincent mentioned the TOT strategy training uh, people who train others so that we don't need to to go every inch yes. we just go there to supervise and to see where there could be gaps we strengthen but the people themselves are involved in almost everything yeah. that we plan for them we plan with them and we implement with them yeah. every year we do assessment again a participatory assessment household survey where we check our progress see what is working what is not working mm. again that is also very helpful mm. yeah and i imagine the people in a village may be willing to accept a new idea or concept from someone they know and trust already mm-hmm. then they might for someone coming from Kigali mm-hmm. and exactly, yeah. telling them what they should be doing Aha, right? exactly what you mention is a very important you know uh, the strategy is uh, called peer education is very easy to understand your neighbor because if is me or other person come from there or oh, they say oh is he an educated people is he a rich mm. people mm. that is why it can do this and this but if there is a her or his neighbor who explain that this can happen is very very understandable that is uh, why using a peer education is a very very strong strategy and the result is a uh, very very easy achievable yeah. and uh, yeah. in addition to that linked to that to the peer education we have another strategy called pd health mm-hmm. or positive deviance health which is a program where you go and pick people who are positive minded who are doing well in the community are uh, yeah, role models and they help you in educating their neighbors the community members so that they can emulate the good thing the way they are doing things Positive for instance change. if it is a nutrition or if it's child care if it is gender mm. whatever programs we are implementing you will find someone who is ahead of others mm. so you start from those ones and they help you to scale up they help you to reach others and then you work with them uh, to do the training uh to do campaigns to do sensitization so we call that pd hat and uh, through that one 
I remember when we first began, we did Bethlehem survey, which was also participatory. And then from there, we started with growth monitoring, mm. where we screened children for malnutrition. Mm. And we were able to screen 11,000 children. Wow. And then we found that almost 2,000 of them were malnourished. Yeah. So mm. we used the PD Health to do uh, rehabilitation. Uh, rehabilitation, malnutrition rehabilitation. Mm. And uh, in three years, we have been able to lift 2,000 children from malnutrition. Oh, that's just a Using that thing. model yeah. or using that strategy of PD Health. Florence, maybe take me back to that, those first few months when you were uh, going into the villages and doing this screening mm-hmm. with the mothers. They're bringing their babies in. They've got the card, and it's divided into what? Green, yellow, yellow and, and red. Red. Yeah. red being very malnourished. Se- yeah, Seriously malnourished. So when the mothers would see where their babies were on the chart, tell me what that was like for them to to suddenly realize that there's a problem here. The red color means severe malnutrition. Mm. The yellow is moderate. The green is normal. Even for mothers or parents who are not educated, they know if the child is in yellow, the parents have to follow up the PDHAS session. Mm. The mothers, when we did the screening, some of them were shocked. That's what I was wondering. Yes. Were they surprised? They were surprised and shocked uh, because they knew they were doing a lot for the children. <laughs> they didn't know why. Rather, they couldn't believe that their children were malnourished. Mm. Uh, and I remember when we, we first came to this district, ah, they told us we have like only 200 children who are malnourished. Mm. But just in four sectors... We discovered there were almost 2,000 children who were malnourished. So even the district was also astonished, surprised, surprised because Mm. they couldn't believe that there was such a huge number of children who were malnourished. So some of the parents were stressed up when we told them you have to go to the hospital, you have Mm. to bring your child here for 12 consecutive days for rehabilitation. It was not easy, but we tried to support them. Uh, we gave them a lot of support in the first screening, I mean, first rehabilitation. and But finally, it became normal. They saw it as something normal, something they are proud of when they saw that their children were now recovering from malnutrition. They started feeling proud of it, and they started bringing their children without any push, without any effort. And uh, today, they are doing it on their own. They don't need anyone to mobilize to them, them. Or to push. Yeah, to push them. Mm. So when a child is uh, diagnosed with malnutrition, the mother and the, the, the husband will immediately say, when is the next mm. uh, rehabilitation session mm. so that we can bring our children? Okay. So, but they were, the, the, the situation was very tense when we first uh, produced a list of 2,000 children who were malnourished. Mm. How many were in the red zone? Do you remember? Yes, there were 585. In the red zone? Yes, 585. I remember the statistics. Yes, yeah. So it was not easy. I have been speaking with Ruben, Vincent, and Florence, all ADRA staff here in the country of Rwanda, who for the last three and a half years have been changing people's lives 
in the western province of Rwanda with the ADRA Embrace project. Embrace is a project that is funded primarily by the Canadian government through Global Affairs Canada and implemented by ADRA Canada in partnership with ADRA Rwanda. When we return with part two of my interview with Ruben, Florence and Vincent, we will discover some of the specific ways that their project has lifted children out of malnutrition and dramatically improved people's lives in Rwanda. This is Frank Spangler for the ADRA Canada Insider Podcast, and I hope that you will join us for part two of Embracing Rwanda.